0: The cultural change needs to happen for flexible working to work. Um, another point, which is uh, it's kind of the kind of the recent studies I've done, is that um, because people think women do use flexibility for family family friendly purposes, and that men are less likely to um, because of their bread role, like they're also stigmatized.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. Each week, we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Hub podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uherecki, and it's a really great pleasure for me today to be joined by Dr. Jung Chung from uh, the UK, and we're going to be talking about work-life balance and flexibility. Thank you for joining me, hee Jung. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so just as a way of a, a very short introduction, I have been following the work of hee Jung for a few years now. Um, She was the principal investigator for a really um, important project in the work-life realm, which is this Work Autonomy Flexibility Work-Life Balance Project, or uh, WAF-WAF project. Um, And there's also a really great TED Talk with hee Jung about flexible work. So that's what we're going to be mainly focusing on. She's currently a reader in sociology and social policy in the School of Social Policy, Sociology and Social Research at the University of Kent. Um, and also for uh, coordinating this um, project, she has won the ESRC Future Leaders Award. And uh, I didn't know that, but that's always a great surprise when I do my background research, that you also sing in a soul choir and you also play bass for a punk grunge band so yeah. that was <laughs> a great information to learn about you Heejung. but um maybe if i could turn this over to you now to tell listeners a little bit more about yourself about your career your passion and, and really what led you into this space focusing on flexible work in particular
0: okay um i mean how can i even try to answer that in a couple of minutes, but I'll try. Uh, so I think my, if I were to talk about my passion in the way like the larger passion or the larger goal would be to, and I, I guess for any sociologist would be to change the narrative about what is meaningful life, what's a meaningful contribution to society. Um, so I come a bit of different kind of background that isn't on my website. So I come from a student movement activist background at university when I was in Korea. And a lot of the, the, my experiences in Korea, as well as, you know, being in university there at that time, the 90s, uh, kind of gave me quite a bit of a serious criticism towards capitalism or certain modes of capitalism. Because, so I've lived across five different countries. So I was born in Korea, raised in the U.S. for a period of time, came back to Korea to finish uh, my studies. I, w- I lived in the Netherlands. I lived in Germany and have a German husband as well as, you know, and I, I've done some studies in the, in Scotland as well as now based in England in the UK. Um, but one of the ways in which I saw some the differences is the way capitalism works as well as the way people think about money and work. And as many of you know that it's US, Korea, there's a very kind of a strong co- culture of work being privileged over any everything else, culture of overwork, but also a culture of kind of pursuit of money, having kind of a bit of a, needing to need a lot of money, needing to make a lot of money. And so a lot of those criticism was very kind of embedded in why I started to kind of pursue further studies in, in sociology and sociology of work. And um, living in the Netherlands, especially, but also in Germany, and, you know, I've, I've I've, because I had done summer schools and lots of visits to Denmark as well, kind of opened my eyes about how life can be or how capitalism can be, if you want, and how family and leisure can be privileged and how much priority people can have over those aspects rather than, you know, making money and work. And, you know, first flexible working on one hand at first was to, for me to make Kind of a, a way in changing that kind of mode of capitalism or modes of work or ideas of work, where, well, in my master's thesis, I wrote that you know that it was you know my goal is to have a society where workers have shorter and more autonomous hours. So it was it was a way in which I felt like was a kind of a solution to a lot of the societal problems that I thought was uh, was really prohibiting the pro- progress of society. However, as you probably know, and a lot of my what my project is, is that it was a relatively a simplistic view of what flexibility is, especially in this area that we live in, in the era of insecurity, in the era of decline of workers' negotiation positions, increased competitions, you know, just, just normatively in the era of busyness. So, and also being in an acad- academic where control over your work flexibility over your work is very, you know, is widespread. Those blurred boundaries did not necessarily mean... Less work. Yes. So it, this is kind of one of the reasons why, kind of, that what led me to kind of start this project, on uh, the WAF project, in short.
1: What really resonates um, with what you're saying is that when one gets into this field of work life balance, um I think one cannot help but very quickly become philosophical almost. Yes. About the you know, the when you scratch the surface and you really go down, there are so many unconscious bias and cultural assumptions around work and and the definition of success. When we work with companies, organizations very often you know how the the top management defines success and the road they took to get there, meaning overwork, lots of sacrifice, lots of trade offs that is how then the next generation is going to perceive you know how to get there, so it opens a lot of lot of philosophical questions and takes on as you say on 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 success on money values um why do we work or why do we live and and how these interact
0: this is why so when i was doing my masters um thesis in korea and then again going up to do my phd etc i was very hesitant to do work-life balance issues because even then, this is you know, mind you, this was in the early two thousands, late nineteen ninety. So, like, it was considered like a women's area. So it's like work life balance is a you know, so it's like I, I just we rejected the idea that because I'm a woman, I should be doing something around that. I think increasingly, as you say, once you really get into it, work life balance is actually really a fundamental kind of a critique or 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 changing of perceptions towards in a way, capitalism, the whole basis in which majority of our society rolls around, it could be linked to our criticism towards why are we using GDP per capita as a measure of the, you know, the the success of a country? Why do we measure profits as success of companies? These are all intertwined together. And this is what makes this area such an exciting and interesting field. And I think now, a lot of scholars understand how important it is for us to actually understand some of these dynamics, because it is really kind of fundamentally thinking about what we are as a society.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And and what I just uh, learned, uh, you know, last week, actually, because... That's also the beauty, the more you unpack, the more you learn, is that somebody said in an interview for an organization, they said flexible work is the amplifier of whatever underlying culture and narrative there is in organization. If yes. the narrative is around overwork and hustle and then you will use flexible work to even work more. If it's about getting away with things and and trying to find your way through, then it will be an opportunity to slack off. So I, I thought that was a really great spin on on the whole thing, and and also I think that's a little bit resonates with your your project and some of your findings that work life balance or flexible work is not created equal, right? It's very different for men and for women. Very different interpretations in these different Uh, countries in the different organizational contexts so maybe just uh, explore exploring a little bit the project so um, tell us you know how did that project come about and and what were some of the most exciting findings and then we'll encourage listeners to also go and listen to your TED talk which is also very insightful
0: yes thank you um so Uh, That's exactly what it is, the amplification of the organizational culture. I think, so my criticism first came from the fact that perhaps not necessarily academics, but uh, many academics as well, but especially like in business management, kind of like literature, like just, um, so policymakers seem to just pluck flexible working as some sort of a magical solution to solve a lot of these problems in terms of gender inequality, you know, the the inability of the current existing policy framework to meet the work life balance demands of of working families, but all sorts of of people with care and this different types of needs. And that you know, it it dawned on me that you know, and it, again, you know, being an academic, having seen that culture, having looked at different ways in which flexible working has been used, again, you know, having lived in different and countries, that it's it's not the same. That it isn't, again, as you say, it's not some sort of a magical tool. That it is an amplifier. It is not used in a vacuum. So this is what kind of led to this this study. And some of the key findings, if you want, is that um, that flexible working, yes, sometimes can be useful. But it depends on the country, the context, and the type of arrangement. So, teleworking—what I find, at least with the European data, but a lot of this resonates from other data uh, across other countries—is that teleworking leads to work-family conflict, um, especially uh, flexi time. So, when there's a bit more stricter boundaries between your your kind of um, your working hours may reduce work family conflict but this working time autonomy where it's self-determined work where you can work anytime as long you know as many hours you need actually leads to more work family conflict and the reason for that is again especially given that we are in living in the era of insecurity and decline and position positions increased competition that flexible working especially this, these blurred boundaries the extreme blurred boundaries of work leads to Increase in work intensity, increase in overtime, increase in unpaid overtime and kind of mental uh, and actual like, spillover from work. So encroachment of family time, if you want. So people worry about work more, think about work more, you know, just generally end up expanding their work spheres other than, rather than uh, they're expanding their family spheres so this obviously leads to work family conflict and a lot of that is because of the kind of the national and organizational context in which this is used when workers don't have a lot of negotiation power where there is not a culture of very work family friendliness in the organization or at the country this is going to be amplified um but there is also a positive element so so another bit that i find and this one of the reasons why it also leads to work family conflict is because especially for women flexible working do does enable women to kind of keep the very kind of stressful long hours jobs that they would have not they would have otherwise not been able to keep so it does prevent women from taking these more low occupation low paid part-time jobs obviously part-time job means different things in different countries but um especially in countries where, you know, like the US and the UK, it is mostly because of the long hours culture that is very prevalent in these countries, it usually is a very low paid, kind of a low career perspective position part time work. And if you allow mothers after childbirth to work flexi time, so have kind of varying schedules, as well as being able to work from home, they are able to stay in their jobs, but also maintain their hours, which means that they could keep their jobs, keep their careers going. Now, the problem is, is that it enables them to do both. So being able to work long hours may reduce your, your your the amount of work that you need to do in the household a bit, but not necessarily. So there's a lot of qualitative work done by others who talk about, and you know, I also have a lot of anecdotal kind of uh, uh, talks with colleagues as well as other women who Work from, you know, have flexible schedules. They do the pickup at three o'clock. They do all the childcare till seven or eight o'clock. And from eight o'clock onwards till midnight, they catch up on work because their flexible working doesn't change the organizational culture of needing to work at least 10 hours a day to keep up with the demands at work, right? And so this is some of those like like the cultural change needs to happen for flexible working to work. Um, another point, which is uh, it's kind of the kind of the recent studies I've done, is that um, because people think women do use flexibility for family for family friendly purposes, and that men are less likely to um, because of their bread roles, like, they're also stigmatized that um, so having work spill over to family life and like, increasing overwork over time, can actually lead to income premiums. And this is some of the studies that we have done with my colleague, Yvonne i using German data, is that it leads to income premiums. But for men, for mothers, it doesn't because, and linking to another study I've done, like a third of workers um, feel like flexible workers are, are making more work for others. They have very negative perception towards it that it's, it's gonna lead to negative career outcomes, et cetera, especially men feel that. And a quarter of mothers who have worked flexibly have experienced a negative career consequence due to working flexibly. So there is that kind of gendered ideas of it as well. And it all in all, I mean, can, you know, flexible working, is it in that like gender egalitarian policy or is it actually going to lead to traditionalization of work and again, this whole idea of amplification of the existing culture, you know, again, is very resonant here because it depends on, like, how it's used, what the situations are in the household, in the organization, and in the country.
1: Absolutely. And, and I really, what struck a chord in one of these recent papers was that when you wrote that in cultures, in countries, and I say this as a Hungarian, you know, coming from a very traditional uh, family-viewed country, is that um, in countries and cultures where um, women's role is, you know, primarily that of a caregiver, work-life balance equates to work and family balance, whereas men's work-life balance equates to work and leisure time balance <laughs> and, yes. and that in these countries in these contexts uh, work-life balance or flexible work doesn't even take into consideration you know women's needs or desires for leisure time and learning and and self-fulfillment in in other areas or other spheres in the community or in politics or you know in sports and um and that you know even if they and so it was really, really was for me like a light bulb moment that teleworking may be actually um, more harmful than useful, because at the same time as, you know, working from home there for their paid employment, they're also expected to, you know, do the child care, uh, especially in countries with limited availability of childcare, but also to the household. And, and so um, I think that that was really a new lens for me, even though, you know, having Dug myself in this also for the good part of the last 10 years but but this was really like wow that's that's something that we need to consider much more
0: yeah so this is so this uh, the, the the body of work that's that's actually from a collaborative work uh, I've done um so this is the just to give it a plug in so this is a recent special issue in these uh, journal social indicators research where I worked with Tanya van der lippe from Utrecht University as well as colleagues across Europe and the US, um, where we, and across different disciplines, economics, sociology, social policy, and to look at how flexibility can be gendered. And the the question is, is it going to be a way in which we resolve some of the gender inequality issues or is this actually gonna be, you know, even, you know, worsen some of the, the, the existing problems? And absolutely what you just said in terms of gender normative views about, you know, roles of men and women are so crucial in determining what results due to flexible working. And so like, again, like we don't have, we didn't have Hungary, but then um, Poland. uh, So mothers and fathers who are, you know, who work from home in Poland. So mothers tend to. Do the housework, do the child care, and do work at the same time, effectively crowding out their leisure time and possibly their sleep. We haven't looked at it, but I'm sure that's where it's gonna go. Whereas fathers, they kept their, you know, they kept their boundaries, so to say, and they didn't necessarily, you know, result in Expanding their kind of home time. So, and we have also again some other kind of studies. Uh, there's another study, this, the same thing happened in the U.S. data. So, Jason Kim uh, looked at uh, U.S. data to see whether teleworking actually does the same for for fathers in the U.S. And again, you know, as many of us know, U.S. also has quite a gender gen- traditional view of, of men and women's roles, and that happens. And so, people on one hand especially the men and men in those heterosexual dual earning couple relationships think of women working from home means they could do both so the protection of women's boundaries of working time is taken less seriously compared to men's boundaries if dad works from home you need to protect his hours he has his office the kids don't bother him whereas mom works from home she needs to put the dishes on do the child pickups, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the interesting thing is, this is different if you go to Sweden. If you go to Sweden, where the gender normative views about gender roles due to, again, the context in which where fathers are put in with being the primary childcare in the very early stages of a child's life due to paternity leaves, well-paid paternity leaves, due to a lot of support in terms of Public childcare, which is incredibly good quality and cheap, both mothers and fathers have same amount of expansion of these home task roles, um, so that it, there's not much of a gender difference. Obviously, mothers do more, but still that difference almost doesn't exist compared to these more traditional, fam- uh, uh, traditional kind of gender normative societies. So again, you know, the, the key kind of message here is that context matters so much that flexibility is not used in a vacuum. Um, So another way in which context matters, so Tanya and and her colleague Zoltan Lipeni looked at how organizational cultures matter as well, and we find that, again, long hours culture is detrimental to have, you know, have detrimental outcomes for flexible working. Um, as well as you know, the extent to which flexible working is used also mattered as well. And these mat these kind of elements matter because it also changes the perception of colleagues and employers of what flexible working is. Again, you know, kind of, you know, going back to the study that I talked about in terms of stigma of the flexibility stigma, and the consequences of it is that because women. Can't but do a lot of the household work when working flexibly. That changes the perception of employers and coworkers in terms of, you know, whether or not they were they, they are going to be as productive or means, you know, work hard while working flexibly. Thus, they're more likely to get penalized due to it. So this is a like weird vicious cycle where. Because of the gender normative views, women have to do a lot of the kind of pick up a lot of the household and childcare while working flexibly. Then that changes perceptions of employers and colleagues thinking about flexible working. And then it just keeps on, you know, replicating itself in a way. Like, oh, you're gonna do it. So they do it and in etc. Also, the problem is, is that of the different types of flexible working, you know, at least flexi time and teleworking to a large extent can allow bit less of a stigma or less of a career negative outcome, but because, especially teleworking, I think, has, you know, people perceive that when women telework that they're not actually going to work. So they're less likely to be given the opportunity to telework, which then ends up, you know, again, having, leading to this vicious cycle. Um, And I think to say is that, again, flexible working cannot be used as a tool to compensate for the lack of other existing policies to help work-life balance. So it has to be used to supplement it. So if you're in a country where you don't have earmarked good paid, well-paid, well-accessible paternity leave, if you're in a, you know, if you're a country where public childcare is not available, it's not accessible and is expensive, just by introducing flexible working cannot Solve a lot of the problems that you face. It can be useful, but then it, there is a there is a possibility of it perpetuating a lot of traditional gender normative views and traditionalized kind of gender roles between men and women. So, and again, you know, we need to also change the perceptions about what is productivity, um, what is commitment and cultural normative views about gender at the organizational level as well for, you know, flexible working to to actually do its job, if you want.
1: Now, in this conversation, you know, especially when you were speaking about Sweden, um, somehow I was just taken back to this uh, conversation that uh, Michelle Obama had just a couple of weeks ago uh, when she was, you know, talking about her book, and somebody asked her about the Lean In movement, um, and and she said, you know, that, that doesn't always work. But I still wanted to ask you this, you know, kind of devil's advocate question. It's 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 very it takes very long time and a lot of political will to change the culture of a country. And you know, we've seen this now with the EU. You know that the past uh, 20 years of you know the whole eastern bloc joining um Slovic- slovakia and hungary didn't become sweden so you know the the kind of spillover effect of other cultures is is quite limited even if there's a good policy coordination but uh, what could be then do you think also the role of women to 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 change this perception um is there a role for women in this um both at, at home and, and at work? And, and how could they also contribute to, to changing how flexible working policies affect them? Well, this is a really tough question.
0: Well, the first thing about culture, though I'm a bit more of an optimist here, where <laughs> one of the very good examples of how fast culture can change, again, I want to plug in Jovan Lot's work here. Jovan Lot has done some qualitative interview across Germany about parents' perceptions of, of leave and parental leave. And Germany has been quite a bit of a forerunner, and due to kind of drop in fertility rates, because you know, if you if you have a workforce, especially women going into very kind of very high-skilled women going into higher education, they're incredibly trained, incredible amounts of human capital. If you have a traditional country, traditional gender norm country, without a lot of support for for working mothers, what you have is either women dropping out of the labor market, or on the other hand, women not having children. And that's kind of what Germany was. So Germany introduces this very kind of progressive policy where they had earmarked paternity leave for two months, very, very well paid, and also very flexible in the way you could use it. Now, I'm not saying that that changed gender division of labor to a great extent, but what has changed is that now fathers who don't take up that two months is considered to be kind of in the German... Frowned upon. Yes, very Mm -hmm. frowned upon, the Ravensbatter, if you want. The Raven mother was a very big thing in Germany, now the Raven father, if you want. I think so those kind of changes, policies do help change the narrative quite a lot. And again, it isn't... It is about, you know, how much of this do you see? Um, just, you know, if you're the only sole father taking care of your baby and, you know, you know, amongst the, you know, the baby group, it's it's not going to really be much of a help. If you see more of that, if you see, if that's a gen, you know, general kind of a trend, I think there is more to change. And to be honest, at the moment, a lot of, there's more demand than what policy is able to, uh address so increasing amount of fathers do want to spend more time with their children increasing amount of fathers are you know are saying that they would love to you know be much more hands-on in 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 childcare etc now there's two things that hinders it still uh there's a very interesting recent study in the us which talks about gender roles and like women's roles and men's roles and at work and in the household. So, I mean, it's not completely equal, but there's still, there's a, a, some evidence of, to show that we've kind of reached gender egalitarian views about men and women's capacity to work. So men and women are equally good to do various types of jobs. So that has been, and not, not quite a hundred percent, but we're, you know, we're, we're pretty much, getting there if you if you want and then again you know it's, it's it's different across countries but at least in the US it is like that now what we haven't been able to do is to change people's perception of to see whether men and uh, men and women are, are, are as equally good in childcare and household work. and it's because first of all men was men were never you know, push to do that (laughs) and they don't know how to do it. So, and I think there is an element of not all women, but certain women thinking that they are better at it and they probably are only because, you know, men never, men were not given that chance. And I think almost to the extent we needed, you know, men supporters are, are, um, you know, to, to to help women raise, you know, rise to the top in corporate ladders. Perhaps as women, one of the things we need to do is to encourage men, especially our young boys as well, and teenagers, as well as, you know, younger boys, to really be incredibly good at childcare and household work and give them the, you know, to, to develop a new generation of men believing that they are as good or even better, can be even better in terms of, of childcare and household work. Um, And the other thing is to say that, you know, those activities are still considered, it's it's considered less valuable in our our current day society. Um, And there's no reason for that. So as parents, we encourage girls to act like boys, but then boys are not considered, you know, encouraged to, Tradition, you know like traditionally what we consider as girls. And I guess one of the things we can do to really change the culture of views in terms of gender roles is that I think we are doing a lot to encourage girls to you know have as much ambition as boys, think of themselves as good as boys. they're good in terms of all sorts of different things that they could really go into the labor market and you know fulfill themselves to the maximum. But we need to then start talking to our boys and men, our husbands as well as partners, etc., to say that they can be as good as women in the household, in caregiving, not just childcare but elderly care and spousal care, in terms of you know cooking, cleaning, you know ironing. I guess it's that
1: you know we could
0: be very strong allies to make sure that men do take their, their 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 place in the household as much as women as kind of the next frontier if you want
1: <laughs> mm. yeah exactly no i i think i think that you're absolutely right and 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 this next frontier is definitely going to be um a lot more visible men both in childcare or in elder care or working flexibly um and, and and really showing that it is possible and and taking a stance that that this is what they want and i think that there's there's definitely a new generation of men who are doing that and and also really you know heartening a lot of new generation of men leaders who lead companies smaller medium sized companies who very openly make it their employer brand that you know in our company overwork and uh, death by burnout is not valued and 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 i think that that, that's slowly kind of you know always always scratching a little bit further into into these old stereotypes yes yes
0: absolutely
1: now i mean hejung i really enjoy our conversation but time is running unfortunately always way too fast on the podcast (laughs) so before we go to the last question uh, may I ask you to share with listeners where they can find out more about your projects, your work, your research, and perhaps get in touch with you?
0: Okay, so uh, the best place to look at the work that I've done for the project, so it's Roth Project, so it's H- uh, HTTP, <laughs> it, uh, www.wafproject.org. Um, that's where you could get a whole, you know, a whole bunch of papers, majority of them are open access and free to access, as well as blogs, etc. So also, you could find me at www.heejungchung.com, so where I update information about various projects I do, as well as the work that I publish.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. So coming to the last question, which is always the same here on the Work-Life Hub podcast, if I could ask you to give one advice to senior leaders, managers, something that they need to be more mindful of or, or consider about work-life balance or flexible work, what, what kind of advice would you give them?
0: I think, I mean, I have a lot of things.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is when some of the guests start negotiating, and we go up to three advices. Yeah, I, I
0: can I do three as well. So I think. Yeah, I'm open. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. I think first you have to understand that, especially for the newer generation and Generation G's, Millennials and Generation Z, and X as well to a large extent, the demand for flexible working and being able to balance work with family life is huge, especially for men. The increasing number of men wanting to do that, and as you said, is huge. The reason for why they want to work flexibly is also very diverse. and you. That leaders need to understand that and understand that by accepting it, you are actually going to get more out of it, that you're going to get these committed, productive, per hour workforce who can actually contribute to your system, uh, your company and society on a longer term, much more than you would have expected to otherwise. And which leads to the second point, which is that we need to rethink productivity and commitment. These old long working hours. Being in the office all the time isn't what productivity and commitment is i mean we have so much scientific evidence to prove that especially long working hours you know working long overtime is bad for business it's bad for the individual it's bad for our our society in terms of the health cost it makes and you know the especially like presenteeism in, in various sectors is really problematic this is why and i find this really remarkable goldman sachs which is probably one of the most competitive kind of of, you know, sectors as well as companies in the world. This golden Goldman Sachs CEO now stops people when they work very long hours. And I was really surprised but really applauded this because I think he understands that this is when really bad and quite disastrous choices are made when people are just working too much. And as CEOs or senior leaders, you need to understand that we have to now go in a position or in, in the next stage of, of, of work or society where productivity and commitment cannot be measured through these very old traditional ways. That's working shorter hours, very productive hours, and being able to make these good choices on a, on a clear mind and being able to balance, you know, deal with family and other kind of issues, personal leisure, sports, all really make a difference in making workers productive. And one other thing to say is that as leaders, the first thing to do is rather than thinking of this as something that you need to do for your workers, you need to do it yourself. Take family time and leisure. A lot of the problem I think is, as you said, in the very earlier uh, as part of this podcast, you said something about like how, you know, the culture is there because a lot of the people who are on 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 the leader, can kind of manage, like leadership positions and the managers, that's what they did. That's what they know. They don't know anything else. A lot of them, a lot of us, if I want to say, are, are workaholics. It's sometimes super easy to just focus on work and not think of other things such as social life, family life and leisure because, you know, it could get messy, but I think, you know, you need to step back and think about what you're doing and really take family life, leisure, sports activities very seriously and become that model. And I think as an, as an individual, just on a personal basis, you'll find that you are more productive, you are a better person, and you can actually be a much better leader by doing that. And you're kind of modeling yourself, not just for your workers, but for your next generation in terms of children and society as a whole.
1: Wow, thank you so much. I mean, this has been really, really insightful. I really enjoyed uh, listening to you. and, And, of course, you know, I'm very, very impressed by this very holistic view that you have on these issues and seeing all these connections and and untangling them and and you know seeing what are the levers that we need to pull Uh, and i'm also sure that the listeners also took away a lot of your insight and wisdom so thank you very much Jung for your time being on the podcast and i wish you really the best of success for your for your future research
0: thank you and you too (laughs) (laughs)